Word of God shows us, especially in the, in the book of Acts, and we're going to be looking at the final chapter in Romans, the Word of God always reminds us that our vision ought to always be looking outward as to what God wants to continue to do. Right? I mean, uh, Paul is starting to drop ideas as he's writing to the church in Rome, telling them, I'm on my way to Spain. Jesus never went to Spain, by the way. I mean, not physically. Spiritually, absolutely, right? But, but, but Paul had a vision. I want to take this gospel as far as the eye can see. Because they didn't know what was on the other side of the Atlantic in, th- in those days, right? So for him, the ends of the earth was Spain, and Paul was saying, we're going to Spain. In other words, Paul was saying, the gospel's got to go as far as it can go. Right? Uh, we always joke sometimes here at Mission Ebenezer, if we found out that there was life on Mars, Mission Ebenezer would be trying to get on a space shuttle so we could go share the gospel with the Martians. Right? Amen? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to transition and get off of the business and vision and move into the Word of God. Not that uh, what we've been sharing doesn't have something to do with the Word of God, because it does, but... We are going into Romans chapter 16. Amen? By the way, is everybody doing okay today? Doing all right? You made it on a Labor Day Sunday, so give yourselves a round of applause. All right? We're not going to shame those who took, uh, took the Sunday to go and uh, do something and hang out with the family over the three-day weekend because guess what? We need a break too. Amen? That's all right. We got a hardworking church, Okay? We got a very hardworking church. We got folks in here that work two jobs, some work three, just to make ends meet, cover their needs. We got a kind of church that I guarantee you, the majority of us in here, what you're working toward and your day to uh, day to day job, your eight to five or seven to nine or whatever it is, I guarantee you, the majority of us in here, you are taking care of somebody else that's not even part of your nuclear family because that's the heart of Mission Ebenezer Family Church. So you work really hard. You need a break every once in a while. So for those who aren't with us this week, we're not going to shame them. We'll see them next week. Now, if they don't show up next week, then we're going to have to start knocking on their door. What's up, man? Labor Day was last weekend, dog. It's time to get back to church. All right? All right. Sound good, everybody? And my other last little remark as we get started is I see some wrong jerseys in the house this morning. I see some wrong jerseys in the house this morning, all right? I'm not going to call anybody out, but uh, <laughs> all right, praise God. Romans chapter 16. Hey, this is a good chapter, by the way. Initially, it may seem like it's not as spiritual as Romans chapter 3 or 7 or 8 or 12, but uh, nevertheless, The Word of God is the Word of God. Amen? And when we show up ready to receive from the Word of God, guess what? You're going to receive. If you show up with a heart of uh, critique, a heart of grumbling, a heart of of going through the motions, then no matter how good the Word is, you're going to miss it. But when you show up saying, Lord, teach me through your Word. Our God is faithful and He will. Amen? Okay, Romans 16. Let's read and let's, let's discuss. Uh, this final chapter in Paul's letter to the, the church in Rome, or I should say the churches in Rome. I commend, you, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in 
Ken Cray, by the way, you're going to hear a lot of names in this chapter, and most of these names I can't pronounce right. So if I say it wrong and you hear Pastor Isaac correct me, it's because he did his doctoral dissertation in the book of Romans, and I didn't. So, Verse 2 says, I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been a great help to many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend, Apennitus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my relatives, who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, whom I love in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Greet Apelles, tested and approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my relative. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Trophina and Trophosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, uh, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. So let's pause right there before we finish the rest of the chapter. A lot of greetings, right? I mean, that would the contemporary way of thinking about what Paul's doing here is, hey, man, when you see your mom, tell her I said what's up, right? Tell, tell your brother, I haven't seen him in a little while. I hope he's doing okay. So Paul is concluding this 16-chapter-long letter or epistle that is written to instruct the church in Rome on matters of faith and life and he's concluding it here, and he concludes with this extended uh, section on greetings, specific greetings. In fact, I counted, and there are over 30 people that Paul directly says to address and to greet in the church of Rome. Somebody say 30. So I did a little research, and I looked at all the other letters that Paul wrote, and I realized that in every other letter, the most people that he directly greets toward the conclusion of his letter is about three or four. And here we get to Romans, and he greets 30. What does that tell me about the church in Rome? It was a big church. If he's naming 30 people, then there are plenty of folks that he couldn't name because even as he was naming them, he kind of did what some of us do as we kind of talk in the hood where he said, hey, Andronicus and them, you know, uh, the, the church that meets over in their house, right? And so he calls out 30 people by name, but he also says, and their families and those that meet with them. So by just by looking at the conclusion of the letter to the church in Rome, we can guess that Paul is talking about a church in Rome that was hundreds. Right? And he, and he begins to call them out, and, and, and he gives different reasons as to why he wants these individuals to be called out by name. Right? Isn't that cool that, like, 
He was just writing a letter that was instructing them on matters of faith. But 2,000 plus years later, here we are reading those names. Right? It almost be like you were writing an email to somebody. And for whatever reason, what you wrote in that email meant something so that 2,000 years later, somebody's actually quoting, right, some of these different things. And so we get these really cool names. By the way, some of you are really into uh, wanting to name your children after Bible names. I would encourage you to stay away from Romans 16. Okay? There's, there's plenty of other options throughout the entire Bible. But I don't think your, your daughter wants to be named Trophina. Right. Or I don't think your son wants to be named Andronicus. Okay, we've got some uh, interesting names um, in in Romans chapter 16. But Paul calls them out for a reason. So here's how I want to approach this. Like I said, some of you are like, oh, man, this is just a bunch of greetings and names. And it's kind of fluff and it doesn't really mean anything in terms of our spirituality. But I would beg to differ because the reasons why he calls them out are significant. What he's essentially saying to this church in Rome is copy that. Right. I'm calling them out because they've done certain things. Therefore, keep doing those things. What are those things? Let me list a few things that he mentions. He talks about Phoebe, and he says, hey, I want you to greet Phoebe, and I want you to receive her because she has been a great help to many people. She has been a great help to many people. Right As we go through this list, I'm not going to go through all 30, okay? but I am going to highlight a few that Paul talks about because I want us to remember as we think about the work of God, as we think about Paul's ministry, the Apostle Paul, I mean, we've got churches named after Paul, right? We've got schools named after Paul. We've got all kinds of things named after Paul. He gets a lot of credit. He gets a lot of attention in terms of his contribution and what he's done in the kingdom of God. And I love how before he wraps up this letter, he wants to make sure, by the way, everybody all the work that we've been doing I have not done it on my own right first of all it's been God who's given me the strength right all the glory goes to him that's how he concludes the letter and then he says and secondly it's been a whole lot of us that have been doing good work right let me let me allow that to be a leadership lesson for us to say whenever you're doing something and you have a team of people that are doing something with you always make sure publicly to give credit to those who have contributed to the success of that project take time to call them out by name not just directly in a note that's great they'll receive that but in a staff meeting make sure you highlight hey you know what you just did that was amazing Right. And because you did that, all of us are better. Thank you so much. Make sure you give kudos and recognition to those who are coming alongside. Why? Because nobody's a one person show. Paul's not a one person show. Mission Ebenezer is not a one person show. Your business is not a one person show. So he starts off by giving Phoebe some credit and he says she works really hard for all of God's people. And she's been a great help to many. Isn't that awesome? I mean, we don't have enough information to know exactly what that help was, at least if we're only looking at the Romans 16 text. But if I had to guess, based on how Paul was describing it, she was the kind of person that made sure if people didn't have something to eat, they got something to eat. Right? She was the kind of person that if somebody didn't have, if they had holes in their clothes, that she would go figure out a way to fix them or find something new. She was always looking out to make sure that people had what they need. Right? That's huge in the body of Christ. I mean, we've talked about gifts, spiritual gifts. Not too long ago, we were talking about some of these various gifts in Romans chapter 12 and what those gifts are. And, and again, we can get so hung up on particular kinds of gifts 
spiritually, though, I want to have these ones because, you know, they're, they're, they're visible and all that. But, but Paul starts, and the first person he calls out is somebody who's been a great help to many people, right? And so we have to be able to recognize that it takes an entire village to do the work of God, right? The next group that I want to call out is Priscilla and Aquila. He said that they risked their lives for Paul and for the Gentile churches. They risked their lives. Uh, they, they put their lives on the line. They put their own safety on the line for the sake of Paul and for the Gentile churches. That means they were so committed to the cause of the gospel that they were willing to sacrifice their own comfort and pleasure, well-being, and even their own desire for how what they want and what they want to achieve. They put that aside, and instead they said, what does God need me to do, and how can I be a blessing to the church? Isn't that awesome? So Paul calls out Priscilla and Aquila because he says to them, they were sacrificial. Right? They, they, they were trained to look around and say, what is it that everybody else needs and how can I avoid the temptation of self-preservation and instead use my life and my gifts to be a blessing to somebody else, even if it puts me in harm's way? That's awesome. We need brothers and sisters in the body of Christ that have a vision and a desire to, to look around and to see who are those among us who are in trouble. And how can I come alongside to be a blessing, to be a shield, to be a support, right? Mission Ebenezer, the one, we're, again, we're not a perfect church, but we've always been the kind of church that wants to do the right thing. And sometimes the right thing and the law don't always get along. And there are moments when in public perception, whether it be political issues or, or, or other folks that have particular issues, let me just give you a couple examples. And, and, and if you have a hard time with me calling out specifics, that's okay because we like to talk straight and clear at Mission Ebenezer Family Church. But we have some folks who don't like the way that we talk about uh, God's vision for those who are immigrants because we recognize that our church was founded as an immigrant church. And the word of God tells us to take care of those who are foreigners in the land. Because remember, when he talks to the Israelites, you once were foreigners in another land. And so why now all of a sudden you got a good job, you got a good house, you live in a good neighborhood, and now you can forget about those who are still trying to make it and are trying to figure out how to earn a job even though they don't have paperwork to get them paid over the table. So all that to say, when, when the law and the kingdom of God come to terms with each other we've always been the kind of church that says we're going to preach the word of God and 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 have respect and deference but definitely not allegiance to the the the, uh, the laws of the land no offense to President Biden but I got a king who sits on a higher throne and the same goes whether it's a Democratic or Republican president it doesn't matter no president will fully represent the ideals of Jesus Christ. Therefore, our allegiance as the body of Christ needs to be first and foremost to who Jesus is and what he says. And that's sometimes going to place us in alignment with certain folks. And that's sometimes going to place us out of alignment with certain folks. And some churches are so influenced by wanting to stay in alignment with a certain set of folks that they will adjust the way that they teach the word of God just to make sure that they're seen well by their neighbors. Paul says, Priscilla and Aquila, they risked their lives 
for me and for the Gentile churches. Why for the Gentile churches? I don't know, but if I had to guess, it would be because there were Jewish Christians that didn't like all the work that Paul and his team were doing for non-Jews. It got political and racial, right? No, you guys are doing too much good work. Let's keep all that for the Jews, the Jewish Christians. The Gentile Christians, they're going to, remember it says the gospel goes to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. You guys are going to the Gentile first. You're out of order. You're not doing ministry the right way. We need to make sure we reserve the good stuff for the Jews and whatever the leftovers are, we can give to the Gentiles. And yet Paul and Priscilla and Aquila and many others were saying the Gentiles are loved just the same as the Jews are loved and they need to hear the gospel just the same, if not even more. So therefore, we will prioritize a ministry to a group of people who have been forgotten. So they risk their lives, right? Is everybody with me so far? You're like, man, I didn't think chapter 16 was that juicy, Pastor Kobe. You're, you're squeezing some juice out of it. This is the word of God. Come on. Okay. And then he says, uh, greet the church that meets at Priscilla and Aquila's house. He says, greet uh, Epenetus, the first Christian convert in the Asia province. That's pretty cool, right? When, I, when he called that out, I was like, man, that's awesome. He's like, this is a legend, everybody. Say hi to Penitus for us, because if it wasn't for him, none of us would be here. He was the first one that surrendered his life to Jesus, right? I love that. And what that makes me think of are the saints of Mission Ebenezer Family Church, those who are in heaven already and those who are still with us, like Brother Manuel right over here, right, who made his way into church. If there's anybody who is looking for an excuse as to why you shouldn't have been able to come to church today, you should have saw Brother Manuel make his way into the house of God today. There wasn't anything going to get in the way of him coming to worship Jesus today. Right? So for a generation of folks that like to make excuses... I encourage you to look at Brother Manuel because he's going to worship the Lord with what he has, right? Amen? So I love that Paul points out a penitence because he's like, hey, we've got founders here in the church, and you guys are lucky to be in his presence. Some of them are probably like enjoying conversation with all the young Christians and all the new ministries that are happening in the church of Rome, and they're all excited. And Paul's saying, hey, don't get so excited in all the new stuff. Go talk to a penitence. That dude's got some wisdom. He's got some stories. Hear about what it was like for him growing up. Hear about what it was like when he accepted Christ. And all of a sudden, people started boycotting his business because in those days, Christians were persecuted. And one of the primary forms of persecution was a business boycott so that they would starve and not have any income. Think about all the hardships that he went through. Paul's saying, hey, if you want to talk to somebody, go make sure you spend time with the penitents. Right? So he's, he's going down the list and he's saying, this is who you have, by the way. Let me make sure you all know the amazing folks that are in your church in Rome. Then he says, uh, Andronicus and Junius, Paul's relatives. So he's got some family, right? Paul's got some family there at the church of Rome. He says they were in prison with him. And they, they, they were Christian. They came to believe even before Paul did, right? Isn't that awesome? One of the things I love about Paul's leadership style here is he wasn't afraid to point out if somebody... Uh, uh, had like a little bit of a distinct advantage over him. He w it wasn't a competition for Paul, right? He didn't want to make himself seem like this super Christian and everybody else was different. He wanted to make, it, make sure that everybody knew, hey, by the way, I got some cousins in your guys' church, and they were believers before me. So if anything, make sure you say hello to them because I owe them a lot, right? Isn't that, isn't that okay? That's good for us to recognize that none of us made it to where we are on our own, Right? 
I know we, we, we like to buy into that idea. Well, I worked hard for this, and I put in work, and I did this, and I had to go over that obstacle, and here I am. But guess what? No matter how hard you work to get to where you are right now, there was somebody who worked even harder to get you there. Your mom, your dad, your grandma, your grandpa, your, your tia, your tío, your brother, your sister, your cousin, your neighbor, your friend, your teacher, your coach. Somebody went to bat for you. Never get to a point where all of a sudden you come to some level of achievement and you forget to give honor where honor is due, right? And I, uh, yesterday, I don't know if anybody's a college football fan, but I, I had to watch the, the third and the fourth quarter of the Colorado TCU game yesterday. Deion Sanders, the new head coach at the university, caught a lot of controversy surrounding his presence and style. And I'm not saying I agree with everything, that Dion has done uh, in terms of his coaching style. But yesterday, they shocked the world because they beat a ranked team, broke a couple school records, and they put the microphone in front of Dion's face, and he says, thank you, Jesus. And he says, God brought me here to care for all these boys, and I love them with all my heart, right? And again, I, there might be still some things I disagree with about, you know, his style and philosophy, but at the very least, they put a microphone in front of his face, and the first thing he said was, I wouldn't be here if Jesus didn't do this, right? Uh, make sure we're ready to give glory to the Lord. Make sure we're ready to also uh, utilize those as opportunities. So, again, let me, I'll call out my brother, uh, Coach Dave, I should call him, Coach Dave Canales, right? Which, by the way, I always feel I'm extremely proud of my brother Dave who is the offensive coordinator for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Some of you are like, I'm tired of hearing about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Okay. <laughs> but I remember, okay, so I'm just going to, I'm going to highlight a, a scriptural point based on what I've seen him do in the last couple of weeks. And now he gets to do press conferences. Watch out. It's a press conference. You know, he's got the screen behind him with the logo and he comes up and, by the way, he's used to that setting because of church. A lot of these coaches, they never had to stand in front of people with a microphone in front of them, so they don't know how to, like, react to all these reporters asking them questions and all that. And Dave is just like, hey, how are you doing, by the way? You doing all right? Saw you last time. Today you don't look that, you know. He's, like, interacting with pastoring them during a press conference on national TV. And, uh, and he feels, you know, he's, he's doing a good job. But I remember about 10 years ago, Dave was like, Kind of, you know, I don't mean this in a negative way, but kind of a nobody in the coaching world. Like he was an NFL coach, but nobody knew who he was until Russell Wilson, who everybody knows, right? Especially Sister Carla with her Broncos jersey in the front row. <laughs> Russell Wilson, during a press conference, after a really good game, they asked him, hey, so, you know, this is a really good game. You made some good throws and all that. And, like, tell us a little bit about the preparation. And he says, well, if it weren't for my coach, Dave Canales, I don't know if I'd have been able to, you know, have the success that I had. He's been really working with me specifically, and, uh, and I'm so grateful for him, right? So, like, that was the first time we kind of heard his name in a broad public space, right? Um, and, and that was a good thing of, of Russ to do that because uh, folks are kind of, who's Dave Canales, right? And then now he gets to be in this position. He's on press conferences. So what's the first thing that Dave does? The first thing he does when they ask him, hey, how are things going so far? Oh, let me talk about one of our receiver coaches named Brad. He's doing a phenomenal job with the receivers over here. You ought to see the work that they're doing. Let me talk about these other guys. I think in one conference he went through every single list of receiver, even the guys that will get cut and not make the team. He called them out by name in a press conference. 
And I love that. And in some ways, that's kind of what Paul's doing here. What he's saying is, this isn't about Paul. This is about us. That God's been doing some cool things through us. Right? And And it takes our entire collective contribution to see God take this ministry to the next level. Amen? So he, so he says, uh, he calls out his cousins and he says, they knew Jesus before me. Then he gets to another word. Again, I would recommend that you uh, do not name your child this name. Um, my, my apologies if you've already done that. Uh, but uh, Am- Ampliatus, that was the most interesting one for me. Ampliatus. Yeah. Paul is, is uh, When he calls out Ampliatus, he says, I love Ampliatus in the Lord. Right, specifically, there must have had like a special friendship, you know, by the way that he called him out. Because he didn't say like, oh, he did this one thing or he contributed in this way. He just said like, man, I love that guy. Tell him I said, what's up, right? Then Trophina and Trophosa, women who work hard in the Lord. Persis, another woman who has worked hard in the Lord. Man, I love it here that every time they're talking about somebody who worked hard in the Lord, it's a woman. <laughs> Hey, guys, we got to step up our game, man. Right? So far, the majority of the call-outs, the shout-outs that Paul's giving here have been women who work really hard in the Lord. And I thank the Lord that Mission Ebenezer is filled with women who work really hard in the Lord. Amen? And, and guys, we got to step up our game, okay? If you want to get a shout-out from Apostle Paul at the end of the letter to the church in Carson, Okay? Carson chapter 16, then you got to step up your game, gentlemen, okay? We can't let the women get all the glory, all right? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Got to take a sip of water on that note. He calls out Rufus, and he says he was chosen in the Lord, and he said his mother, who was like a mother to me too. I love that. I'm like, man, I feel the same way, Paul, about my, my own journey in Christ that I have mothers in the Lord that the Lord has surrounded me with through my home church. It's cool that 2,000 years ago it was the same thing, right, uh, where Paul was prayed for, right, where he's out on a journey somewhere. He's getting beat. He's getting persecuted. He's getting shouted down in the middle of a philosophical conversation out in the public square, and there's a mother back home on her knees praying, Lord, be with Paul right now as he's preaching your word. Help him not to be discouraged. Make sure he's always got food. By the way, let me make some tamales for him. All right, cool. Let's get, I don't know if they had tamales in the church of Rome, but let's just assume that they did, okay? It's a Latin country after all, okay? Man, I love it. Cool. So there were lots of shout outs, right? Giving credit where credit's due, remarking authentic relationship, name dropping over 30, as I mentioned. There were so many uh, amazing things that we could take away from these first few verses of chapter 16. Let's move on to the next section. So he calls out a bunch of folks, and then he shifts gears in verse 17. Let's look at verse 17 together. I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I am full of joy over you, but I want you to be wise about what is good 
and innocent about what is evil. Verse 20 says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. So he, he takes a break from the shout outs and he wants to give them this one final push in terms of what to watch out for. And he uses these verses to tell them, be careful because there are going to be people who are going to try to twist the gospel to make it sound like whatever it is they want it to sound like. Be careful. And, and, and it, it pains me to, to admit that we, the church of Jesus Christ in the United States of America in 2023, are a divided church. We're, we're, we're not a united church. As we think about the body of Christ, corporate, we, we divide ourselves in so many different ways. And, and some of that, I, I would, I would, if I had time, which I don't this morning, but if I had time, I would, I, would, I would present a thesis that the contribution of our factionalism is related to our hyper-individualism. And I don't have time to unpack that, but if I did, what I would say is, Rather than coming to the conversation from a spirit of unity, we come to a uh, the conversation from a spirit of disagreement. And we find one thing to disagree about, and then next thing you know, we can't be in fellowship anymore. And then you go to another church where it seems like people will agree with the way you were thinking, and you get there only to realize that after about a year, you've got differences with them too. And then from there, you go to another place, and you realize you've got differences of opinion there, and you've got to go to another place. Why do I share that? I share that simply to say this. As human beings, whenever you have more than one of us in a room, we're going to have more than one opinion. But we have the same spirit. We have the same God. We have the same Savior, who is Jesus Christ, our Lord. We're the same in that we're all sinners, and we've fallen short of the glory of God. We're all going to go to, there's only one heaven, as far as I can tell. They don't have multiple heavens. Jehovah's Witness heaven, Mormon heaven, Evangelical heaven, Catholic heaven, Pentecostal heaven, which is the loudest heaven. There's only one that I can, as far as I could tell. And if we confess of our sin, Right? confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, we aim to live our life in such a way that's consistent with how he's designed us to live, then our, our salvation is not earned by our own works, but by the work of Jesus, who died on the cross, was buried, rose again on the third day, and promised us an invitation to eternal life. If, if you have placed your faith in Christ, and you have repented of your sin, and you're making a conscious daily effort to, to, to die to yourself and pick up your cross and follow him, then guess what? As far as I'm concerned, we're heading to that place. And there's going to be people up there that I'm like, Lord, why'd you let them in? And there's going to be somebody looking at me, <laughs> looking at Jesus and saying, how did that dude get in? Right? And yet on earth, we can't figure out a way to come together and stay together. It's like a marriage. Right? If you've been married for longer than a day, then you know that there's been a moment in your marriage where you weren't too happy with the other person. But there are these very crucial words 
that many of us said, maybe in a church, maybe somewhere else, probably with a pastor standing in front of you, and we said the words, for better or for? For richer or for? In sickness and in? What's the other one? We said those words, didn't we? A lot of us. But then we get into life and we're kind of like, for better or for? Dang, this is the worst right here. Did I mean it? Like some of you want to go back and, and edit the vows. For better or for slightly less better. But not worse. I ain't down for that, right? Because if you knew what worse was on day one, <laughs> I better get off of this. <laughs> Like, for better or for worse? Do you? I plan to. I will try my best. No, we said, I do. Emphatically. Clearly, most of us. Maybe through tears in our eyes. Or shaky knees. Or whatever. But the vows were pretty clear. We live in a culture that where commitment is, is not as high as a value, right? And so I, I look at this, and, and, and here's, here's some of the, the, the warnings, right? He says, watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way. Watch out for flatterers who are after their own purposes and not after the purposes of, of God. Watch out for false teachers who are making things up, who are veering from the word of God. Watch out for those who are moving away from Christian orthodoxy. In other words, what, what Paul is saying here is we need accountability as the body of Christ. Right? We have a lot of, uh, uh, and again, no, I don't want to throw too much shade on any one particular area, but we've got a lot of independent churches that have got no accountability structure. The pastor has nobody to check in with on how things are going. Therefore, you get to be the ultimate authority on how you run your church. Guess what you're going to talk about when you have the ultimate authority about how you're going to run your church. Mission Ebenezer Family Church is not a perfect church, but we are part of a larger fellowship. We've got a district superintendent who reports to a national superintendent over an entire denomination of thousands of churches. In other words, if there's some teaching or something that's going on that's inconsistent with our stated values and our statements of faith, then we are subject to accountability by our leadership who are going to come and say, why are you guys teaching on that? Or why aren't you teaching enough on this? And we have to be subject to that authority. Guess what? Humility is good for all of us. Nobody ought to be their own boss at the end of the day. At the end of the day, we all need checks and balances. Why? Because we're human. Right? Especially once, once there's a church that's independent that's really successful, then all of a sudden everything goes to that pastor and that church leadership's head, and now nobody can say anything against them. There was a story, I'm not going to call any names, but it's public, it's out there, it's on YouTube and podcasts and all that, of a church that went from a home church to tens of thousands of people in less than a couple years. And there was a, 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 another uh, pastor who had a large church, but not quite as large as this new, thriving, growing church. And this other pastor, who, by the way, is also a renowned theologian, somebody highly respected, has written many books on church leadership and ministry. And the pastor offered to mentor this younger pastor who was growing this church to more than 10,000 people, multiple sites globally. And the pastor offered to mentor him, to come alongside him. And the young pastor, you want to know what he said? 
He said, why should I take advice from somebody whose church is no bigger than 2,000? What does he have to teach me? So all that to say is, is that we've got to be in a space. Paul's saying here, watch out for those who are coming teaching certain things. You want to know what's a good way to watch out? Accountability. That's why if some of us in here, and I'm not calling anybody out specifically because I don't know all of your stories. But some of us in here are like, you know what? I love God. I have a relationship with Jesus. I like studying the word, but I don't need to be part of no church. Because churches are just corrupt and they're filled with all kinds of hypocritical people. And I'm like, all right, cool. Find me a place in society where those things aren't true. Because your family is corrupt and all kinds of hypocritical people. <laughs> What you expect about the church? Like, we ain't, we ain't in heaven yet. Like, we still got issues to work out. And that's why we're here. <laughs> right? Like, Lord, please keep doing that work on me. Under construction, put the signs up. Get the hard hats on. Right? Pardon our dust. Right? Like, there's some stuff going on in me. <laughs> right? But some folks are like, you know what, I can just, I can do my own personal devotion, listen to my worship music, put it in my earphones, and just me and Jesus, we're going to do our thing. Here's the thing about that. The reason why that doesn't work is because there's no accountability and there's no support. And we weren't meant to live as individual believers of Christ. Jesus said, wherever two or three of you are gathered in my name, there I am in your midst. Right, Jesus, he didn't say, wherever there's one of you with the right heart and intention, I'll be with you. No, he says, get together with some other people and make this thing about us and not me, right? And so what he's saying here to the, the church in Rome is be careful because there are going to be some folks coming with some interesting things. And sure enough, there was. Like if you study church history and you look at the first, second, and third century and the heresies that came out of so many who were teaching wrong things and twisting the gospel and turning Jesus into all kinds of things that Jesus isn't and turning people into all kinds of things that they're not. And so they had to come together. Okay, man, this is hard. I love the word of God and I love church history. So this gets me really excited. In 326 AD, they gathered together in this place called Nicaea, and they had a council of leaders. They, they de delegated certain leaders to come together and say, there are all these ideas and beliefs about what the gospel is, who God is, who Jesus is, and how we ought to live. But we know that all of these things aren't true. What is true? And they came together, and they prayed, and they studied, and they came up with something called the Nicene Creed. If you're taking notes, write that down. N-I-C-E-N-E. Nicene Creed, which comes from the Council of Nicaea, which was essentially saying, there's a thousand things people are saying, these are the hundred best thoughts, and they're most, most consistent with Scripture. And so the Nicene Creed still exists today as a barometer or a safeguard against heresy and false teaching. So we don't do the, we haven't done the Nicene Creed in a little while, but what we do is we gather together in the body of Christ. And we study the word of God together. And we have systems and structures of accountability so that we can stay consistent teaching the right things the right way. Somebody say amen. Okay, I'll move off of that now. 
let's go to the, the final, final conclusion. Second part of verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Verse 21. Timothy, my fellow worker, sends his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason, and, what's that name? Sosa powder. Sosi. Trying to think of like, Sosito. My relatives, more relatives of Paul. Look at that. And then watch verse 22. This is going to blow your mind, by the way. Ready? 2022. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Some of you are like, what? I thought Paul wrote this letter. He did, but he dictated. And Tertius was called an amanuensis, which is someone who would actually scribe the letter as Paul was telling him what to write. Ancient practice. They've got an app nowadays that's called the Dragon Dictation app. But for those of you who don't like to type, you should download it. It's not too expensive. You just say what you want to say, and then it types it for you. There's another one called Otter. Okay, I'll get off of it. Verse 23, Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greetings. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works. Look at that. Isn't that cool? I love that name drop right there, right? I love that the church in Rome was so diverse, right? It was filled with uh, uh, folks who were uh, still uh, living as slaves, uh, with Gentiles, with Jews, with women, with men, and it was filled with directors of public works. It's awesome. Love it. And our brother Quartus send you their greetings. And finally, 25. Now to him. Somebody say, now to him. Now to him. Who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ. According to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past. But now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations, somebody say all nations. nations. Say it with a little more umph. Somebody say all nations. All nations nations might believe and obey him. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So as we wrap this series in the book of Romans, and as we look at I love that he, stopped, he, he finishes this letter to the church in Rome by issuing another challenge. He starts chapter 16 by saying, you all have done amazing work. Right? He gives him shouts out. You've done this. You've done that. You've done that. Thank you for doing this. Go tell them I said what's up. Right? And then he comes back and he says, but we're not done yet. All right? He says, let's give glory and honor to God 
who has revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey him. So that all nations. He had, I love that Paul had a vision that was outside of his reach. Right? I, I have a hard time sometimes in my work setting where we, we get together and we begin to talk and, they, and they, they say, okay, let's set some goals. And so we start setting goals and then I'll start saying certain things and they'll say, we'll never be able to do that. And, and my response is, exactly, we ought to be shooting for things that we can't actually reach. Why? Because then we're going to get further than we ever thought we could get. But if you shoot for a reasonable goal, guess what? You're going to get a reasonable outcome. If you shoot for an impossible goal, then you're going to see God show up and do miracles. So when you pray for your family or for your loved ones that don't know Jesus, who are going through a hard time, don't just pray reasonable, realistic, attainable prayers. Lord, I pray that they would just maybe, you know, have one good day in the next 20. Because I think that's doable. It's realistic and it's measurable. I don't know. When we pray, we say, Lord, would you transform them from the inside out? Father, I pray that you would do a miracle that only you can do. That no psychiatrist, psychologist, that, that, that no um, uh, matter of, of self-help book or whatever it may be can get them. But Lord, according to your will and according to your strength and power, you are able to take someone whose heart is made out of stone and instead replace it with the heart of flesh. That you can transform their way of thinking, that you can give them new habits and patterns, that you can get them back up on their feet if they're laying down face flat on the ground. That Lord... Lord, you are able to come, even if they're carrying deep wounds that have lasted for decades, that you're the God who can come in in one second, bring healing to that wound, that you're a God who is able to do impossible things. And so we come to you knowing that you're a God who can do those things. And we're asking you to do a miracle. Don't tiptoe. Don't tiptoe toward the work that God is calling us to do. God's too big for that. Right? God's too big for that. I surprised my kids the other night. We, uh, it was Micaiah's birthday. He turned five years old. That's why he was carrying that big old giant uh, train deal right now a second ago. If you saw him, he's bigger than him, you know. He's carrying it around. He got that for his birthday. So for his birthday, we decided to go to Round Table Pizza. And, um, you know, so I got there before them because I went there straight from work and then Drea was coming to meet us. So I went ahead of time and got a bunch of a cup full of those tokens for the arcade games, you know. And usually I'm a cheapskate. I'm not going to lie. I'm like, I only get like five dollars worth of tokens at a time. And then I make up my mind at the end of each round whether I want to re-up it, you know. Let's go for another five, you know, let's go for another five or I'll cut them off, you know. Now nah, you guys are done. You're done. Had too many arcades right now. Let's go. So this time I got $20 worth of tokens. I splurged. Right? I went big. And I almost filled up one of those, one of those, uh, those clear uh, plastic cups they give you for water that many of you guys use to get soda anyway. <laughs> many of us, I should say. It almost filled up an entire one, right? And, uh, and so they kept, they came over and they showed up, hey, we're there to celebrate. I started giving them, you know, a couple dollars at a time. And then they started realizing, like, every time they came back, I had more to give them, you know. And, uh, and finally, they were like, Dad, how many tokens did you get, right? 
And I was like, man, I had to go, I had to go big today. It's for Micaiah's fifth birthday, right? Hook you guys up until we got to the point where there was only a few left. And then it was an odd number somehow. So they were arguing over the tokens. You know how it goes. But anyway, they were like surprised, right? And, 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 and it reminds me here, sometimes we come to the Lord with these really small requests. Like these really tiny, like, Lord, I pray that you would, you know, bless my, my, uh, my small group home Bible study. And so that we can really, and then the Lord's telling you, like, that's a good prayer. But also, why don't you pray that this entire neighborhood comes to know Jesus, and they join a Bible study as well. Maybe there might be 10 new Bible studies that are created because of this one that was faithful to God, right? And we, we serve a big and mighty God. Paul closes this letter, and he says, hey, God is doing amazing things in Rome. Praise the Lord. But God's not done yet. we got to go to Spain. God's not done yet. He's not done with this church. He's not done with you. Some of you might be thinking, man, I've come a long way. Praise God for where you've come from. But guess what? He's still taking you somewhere. This is going to be a year, if you're open to it, where you'll see God move in your life in ways you've never experienced before, if you're open to it. But if you're like, you know what? No, I'm good. Like, I made a lot of progress, you know, from where I used to be to where I am now. Pretty good, man. Let me pat myself on the back and get real comfortable right here. And God might be saying this. This is the year to get uncomfortable. This is the year to say, Lord, I don't believe you're done with me yet. I don't, be done, I don't believe you're done with my family yet. I don't believe you're done with my neighborhood. I don't believe you're done with my kids' school yet. I don't believe you're done with my workplace yet. I don't believe you're done with this community yet. Father, I believe you are still at work, and we're going to seek you for that. Right? He closes with this ambitious, very ambitious vision where he says, hey, we're going to keep pushing this thing forward until every nation has heard who Jesus is. Amen? Amen. I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward as we prepare for a time of communion. Um, we are going to gather together around the table. We're going to continue this beautiful tradition that was handed down to us uh, by uh, first by Jesus and then by the disciples. And we've kept this tradition going in very many different cultures and languages and locales. But it's the same thing. We are remembering what Jesus has done for us on the, in, on the cross, that he gave his life for us. And he invites us to take his body with us and to be renewed and cleansed by the shedding of his blood on the cross. says that the work that he begun in us he will bring unto completion somebody say he's not done with me yet isn't that good news he's not done with us yet the work that he began in us he will bring into completion remember it's not even some of us are like man I haven't done what I need to do but remember he's doing a work in us so even as we come forward when our ushers dismiss row by row to come forward to receive the body and the blood of Christ. Keep that in your heart. Lord, you're not done with me yet, and I'm open. Keep doing your work in me. Amen.